Today our reading is Matthew chapter 26. Um, if you've read it, you, you already know that there is so much going on in this chapter. Um, here in this one chapter, which is 75 verses long, um, we read of the Jewish leaders plotting to kill Jesus, Jesus predicting his impending death again, Jesus celebrating his final Passover with his disciples, also instituting the Lord's Supper in its place, Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane with three of his closest disciples, Judas agreeing to betray Jesus, Jesus actually being betrayed and delivered over by Judas, and Peter denying the Lord three times exactly as had been foretold. I mean, it is a full chapter to say the least. There's so much that can be gleaned from it, should be gleaned from it. There's no way that we can address every helpful truth here. So I'm just going to make a few notations from it, uh, namely three. Here's the first truth I want to think about here, that sin always tries to hide and stay in the dark. Sin always tries to hide and stay in the dark. This chapter begins with the sinful and sinister plotting of the chief priests and elders against the Lord, and they're seeking to find a way to put him to death, verses 3 to 5. It's, um, it's a chilling scene. The leaders all gathered together, not in the open where anyone might see, but behind the scenes. Verse 3 says, in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas. Not only this, but they were specifically seeking how to, as it put it in verse 4, quote, arrest Jesus by stealth so that there wouldn't be, according to verse 5, an uproar among the people. They knew what they were doing. Uh, they knew that, And they knew that if people knew it was openly known what they were doing, it would cause an uproar. Because at this people, the crowd still loved Jesus and had just uproariously welcomed and lauded him as he came into Jerusalem. Now, uh, the crowd would eventually change their tune, but for the moment they loved him, and the Jewish leaders knew it. So they did their sinful plotting and planning in secret. And it's an even more chilling scene when in verse 27, Jesus is finally arrested and brought into the room in the high priest Caiaphas's palace where they had been meeting all evening with evil intent. Uh, the actions of these Jewish leaders teach us something about the nature of sin and the way our sin causes us to act. Sin always tries to hide and stay in the dark. These leaders made all of their sinful deliberations behind closed doors precisely because they knew it was wrong and that others would see it as wrong. That teaches us another thing. Uh, They were more concerned, again, with what other people thought of their actions than what the Lord thought of their actions. These men were hiding in the high priest's palace in order to keep their reputation clean and pristine among all the people and not giving a single thought to how little that matters when you are out of the Lord's favor. From the very beginning of Scripture, we know sin is sin, and we try to hide it. God planted something in us called a conscience, so we're not ignorant. When Adam and Eve sinned by rebelling against the Lord's command, what did they do? Genesis 3.8, they hid from him. Jesus said in John 3.19 and 20, that people love the darkness rather than the light because we know our actions are sinful and we don't want to admit them to God and we certainly don't want other people to know. 
That's why Christians are commanded to walk in the light because we're to reflect the holy character of, of the God that we serve and trust. And we're not supposed to live in the kind of lives that one would try to hide. And we all sin and stumble in many ways. Uh, and even then, though, we're to confess our sins to one another. Uh, we're to strive to live clean and holy lives with integrity so that our actions are open to all for the glory of God. And, and part, of, part, of, part of living a clean and holy life is not that you never sin, like we just said, but when you do sin, you are open and honest about your sin so that Christ, your forgiver, is magnified. The day is coming when all the sins people have worked so hard to keep suppressed and hidden from view will be uncovered and exposed. We've seen that already in Matthew. In contrast to the secrecy of the Jewish leaders, Jesus reminded those who came to arrest him that he had conducted his life and ministry in full view of everyone, Matthew twenty six fifty five. He had no sin to hide. And when we give our lives to Christ and confess our sins to him, we should from then on be willing to admit it and confess our sins and shortcomings with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see that in James 5, verse 16, because we freely and joyfully confess now that Jesus is our only righteousness before God. So rule of thumb, unless you're secretly planning to a surprise blessing for someone, if you're tempted to keep the action secret and hidden, there's probably a good chance you shouldn't do it. But here's something else to say, see in this chapter, that God's words are always true and always come to pass. If you read this chapter carefully, you may have seen this emphasis in the chapter. I saw it in two ways. One, um, through direct mention of a particular scripture being fulfilled. And secondly, Jesus' own words coming to pass. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him because it had been foretold in the Old Testament. We see that in verses 21 and 24. Um, you see that in Psalm 41, 9, and in also John 13, 18. Jesus knew his disciples would temporarily fall away because it was prophesied in the Old Testament. Verse 31, quoting Zechariah 13, 7. When Jesus was tempted to call down armies of angels to come to his aid when he was being arrested, he refrained from doing that because the scriptures had, had to be fulfilled that foretold his death for our salvation. Verses 53 and 20, uh, 54 and also uh, verse 56. In other words, everything was unfolding just as the Lord had foretold in the scriptures. God's words are always true and always come to pass. Interestingly, this truth is also seen in the words of Jesus in this chapter that are true and come to pass. From the very outset, he again predicts his impending death in verses 1 and 2 and his resurrection. When a woman pours uh, expensive ointment on Jesus' head, Jesus uses her action as another opportunity to uh, foretell his death, verse 12. One very obvious example of this here in chapter 26 is in contrasting Jesus' words to Peter's and the disciples' words in verses 31 to 35. In those verses, Jesus predicts that they would fall away as the Scriptures foretold. And Peter specifically said, uh, or he told Peter specifically that they would deny him three times that very night. And all of them denied it. Peter very strenuously denied it. But again, as the story unfolds, Jesus is proven right. And the disciples, especially Peter, are proven wrong. We will think in the 
in by the time this um, uh, chapter is over, in our next point, that uh, what this teaches about the deity of Jesus. But for now, just take these examples as more examples of why you can always trust God's word in the Bible. You may not always understand it or see how it will happen, but you can be sure that God always keeps his word. So let's think finally about the deity and the humanity of Jesus. Um, I think this passage presents to us again the deity that Jesus is fully God and the humanity of Jesus that he's fully man. He is the God-man, as Brother Al likes to say, as much God as if he were not man and as much man as if he were not God. He is truly God and truly man, not half man, half God, truly man, fully God, fully man. Two natures in one person. We see evidence of both in this chapter. His humanity is on full display. His frailty as a human being is clearly seen in the Garden of Gethsemane as he struggles with what he's about to have to do. We also see, rather comically, his perfect humanity as the Jewish leaders failed mightily even to find credible false testimony against Jesus. Verses 59 and 60. I don't know if you noticed that in verses 59 and 60. That's hilarious to me. They couldn't even make up false accusations that even sounded believable against Jesus. He had no sin, and they were finding that out firsthand. That's his humanity on display. But we also get a glimpse of his deity as well. He claims authority over legions of angels because of his unity with God the Father in verse 53, uh, which something only God can do. But I also believe his deity is seen in his unfailing ability to foretell events before they come to pass, like we were just talking about. We've already seen in the previous uh, point that, that I just mentioned him doing that, but we, we see ev- that as evidence of his deity because of statements like this from the Old Testament. Um, Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. Listen to what Isaiah says, or the Lord says through Isaiah. Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what shall happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? Are you my witnesses? And and you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock, I know not any. That's a powerful passage. The Lord declares in that passage that only God is able to foretell the future perfectly and unfailingly before it comes to pass. And Jesus exhibits this very same ability, which is yet another piece of evidence pointing to the deity of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. He is worthy of all our worship and devotion. That's a long chapter and a full chapter, but that's Matthew chapter 26.